This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, where hundreds of researchers make new discoveries inspired by the work of previous Dana-Farber scientists. Learn more about their momentum at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. Support for NPR comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. Just a quick note, this podcast contains some explicit language. So, Sheldon, there's this song. I kind of need your opinion about it. Let's let's hear just a little tiny bit. Maybe we should start with uh, the chorus. These beautiful things that I've got, please stay. I want you, I need you, oh God, don't take I'm playing you Beautiful Things by Benson Boone. Not only because it is a massive global hit that has been on the charts for several weeks and was a viral TikTok sensation before then, but because I cannot get this freaking song out of my head and I also cannot tell if it is awesome or awful. Can you help me out here, Sheldon? Yeah, I I certainly don't think it's awesome. Um, (laughs) You know, despite spending considerable time on TikTok, I am not well-versed in the Noah Khan extended universe. And we must say Benson Boone is definitely an extension of the Noah Khan phenomenon. He's outdoorsy. He's young. He's cute. He cares about emotions, <laughs> all those things. Exactly. And I likely would not have heard this song if you hadn't brought it up to me. Sorry. Uh, I, yeah. I'm not sure if I should be thanking you or like <laughs> wagging my fist, but you know, I feel like this is sort of kind of the wide empty song that you can project nearly any of your feelings into, um, which is why it seems to appeal to such a wide swath of people. And I get it. I like a lot of those songs too. This one kind of loses me, especially with that chorus that we just heard. You don't feel like it's like, you know, James Taylor suddenly becoming Chris Cornell, like the Hulk, you know? (laughs) That's kind of what I feel like it's like. Well, that might be exactly why it's not working for me. (laughs) (laughs) But I am curious to hear what it's doing for you. Well, you know, I think it's a combination of a couple things. Discovering it on TikTok, both from Benson Boone's own TikToks and, you know... He's a cute young guy with a fashionable mustache. Never hurts. (laughs) (laughs) But then also watching people kind of like mime catharsis. Yeah. It's always fun. There's a lot of enthusiasm there and that's really enjoyable. And then I also just have to say, I think it was partly the return of the grunge howl. Yeah. I mean, I'm a woman of a certain age, as I like (laughs) to say, and that age would be the 90s. So maybe it's just nostalgia. I mean, I do get that. I It feels like it's not the same sort of like raw expression of feeling mm. as some of that older stuff. It feels to me kind of like the thing that was geared like specifically for top 40 radio airplay in like the early 2010s. Yes. And so it's kind of funny to me that he signed to the Imagine Dragons guy. Oh, yeah. But I will say that it's like it's refreshing. So much of TikTok music feels like specifically geared for TikTok. And this feels like it's for the wider world beyond and not just for that platform, which I think is interesting. Maybe it'll be a new phase for TikTok hits. We'll just have to see. (laughs) Benson Boone carrying us into a new epoch, you know, rather like Ted Neely in Jesus Christ Superstar. Another thing he reminds me of. But we'll have to see. Anyway, 
I'm Ann Powers, critic and correspondent for NPR Music. And I'm Sheldon Pierce, editor at NPR Music. And we are gathered here today not to spend an hour discussing the value of cute young mustachioed guys on TikTok, but to sample some of the most interesting new music that's out today, March 1st, because it is New Music Friday. You know, Sheldon, what I'm thinking about this week, what came to mind while I was listening to the records we're going to talk about is this idea of tone. Tone is this kind of ineffable quality of a person's voice or instrument. It's like vibe, but not exactly. I wonder, what what do you think about that term, tone? I always think of it as the quality that is distinct about whatever instrument the person is using, the personality of it, Mm. the texture of it, the way that it sort of washes over you and makes you feel. It, it always has a sort of distinct quality that separates an artist from other artists, I think. Does tone go deep or does it just stay on the surface? I wonder what you think about that. You know, I probably would say it does sort of stay on the surface. Hmm. <laughs> do, do you uh, feel differently? Well, I think that's something we can explore while we uh, talk about the records that are out this week. And in fact, I think a great release to ground our conversation is the first one we have up to talk about today. It's a new album by Faye Webster and it's called Underdressed at the Symphony. I want to see you in my dreams But then forget also had several big TikTok songs, most recently the Lush song, I Know. And this album doesn't really deviate from her past releases that much, I think, but it does hold together really nicely as a work. I mean, it's a very solid, complete feeling, listening experience. So if if you're into Faye Webster as a TikTok artist, I recommend spending a little time like chilling out with her whole vibe. And I think you're a fan, aren't you, Sheldon? I am. I'm a big fan. I think she's sort of really locked into the sort of energy that she's been moving towards on the past three records specifically. I do think this record is maybe her least lyrical full length of her career. Sometimes she sang, I got too much time. What else is there to do now? Overanalyze things I don't really care about. And her songs functioned in that same way. They were sort of deeply analytical. The writing was always very pithy, but it was also like effusive and almost poetic. I think often of he's awake the whole time that I'm asleep. Maybe that's why I don't see him in my dreams. Wow. But these songs have the same yearning and like the same musing introspection, like on 
Wanna quit all the time, she sings overthinking in my head again, I'm good at making shit negative. But I think here the introspection is more pointed, like less flowery and like less narratively focused. That's interesting. You were saying you think it's the least lyrical of her yeah. releases, but you're saying that in a positive way, it sounds like. Yeah, I, there's a lyric on that same song. She's like, I used to be self-conscious. Well, really, I still am. I'm just better at figuring out why. Uh. And I think that like reflects an understanding and a perception. There's like maybe less focus on what she's saying, but more focus on the way that her songs are structured and what they are doing around her voice. Huh. Uh, to me, the simplicity here only contributes to like this growing splendor and like focus in her songs. That sounds like you're talking about tone, I have to say. I mean, one thing I love, I know I'm hammering home a point. I realize that. But one thing that's always attracted me about Faye Webster is her singing style itself and the, the seeming yeah. effortlessness. But then I think it's very conscientious. Is that the right word? Like there's a distance in what she does. Yeah. While there's also this warmth, it's very paradoxical. It's like she's very careful to give us a listening experience that we can relax into or something like that. Yeah. Operating at a distance does feel like her like traditional mode. But like you said, there is like this sort of subtle beauty to it that gives it this warmth that's hard to explain she's never too close to you but she's also never too far away which is like it creates this like very pleasant balance given the way that her song like operates at this intersection of like americana and like r&b music and yacht rock somebody put the yacht rock label <laughs> on this one it kind of leans into that sound which complements her sort of quietly decadent worldview <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think. <laughs> but she's she's from Atlanta. She's based in Atlanta. And, you know, I have to say, maybe this is obvious to fans of Faye Webster, but I feel like she's really been nurtured by the whole vibe and scene and tone of the Atlanta scene because there's a way what she's doing is very much in the indie rock tradition, but then it also connects to the hip-hop sound of Atlanta yeah. too, right? Yeah, I mean, she's been sort of adjacent to the rap community her entire career. She and y Little Yachty actually went to middle school together. That's so She used cute. to shoot photos for local rappers like Offset and Killer Mike. And she was closely associated with Awful Records for a time. Mm. I've always thought she had this like innate understanding of the ways that Southern music forms are distinctively interlinked. And exactly how her sound was like a product of those connections. To me, it's funny that Yachty is featured on this because I think he's finally starting to synthesize his music in the same way. And they are operating in different modes, but they both seem to be moving towards similar ideas. Yeah, they duet really well together. I mean, like they complement each other perfectly, intuitively. Yeah, when, when he shows up on the back half of that song, Lego Ring... Initially, it's like, oh, but then it's like, oh, that's that's actually really, really pleasant. I, I know what I like. 
I do think they are running parallel in a sort of interesting way. Right. And and it's nice to see them sort of come full circle as like former classmates, now stars. I also think she connects to what's happening with a lot of women in indie music right now who are sort of critiquing the pop machine in these sideways yeah. ways. You know, Caroline Polachek, for example, or the duo Smares. Even St. Vincent in a, in a kind of a distant way. I mean, Faye Webster sounds nothing like St. Vincent, <laughs> but, you know, there's a way in which that distance, that, that slight ice in what she does, even despite all the warmth, kind of reminds me of Annie Clark and reminds me of how Annie's always overthinking or conceptualizing even as she's offering us like rock and roll catharsis. I mean, there's songs on this record with names like eBay purchase history that yeah. then, you know, have very lush romantic sound. And to me, that's that um, expressing that double consciousness of what it means to be a woman kind of living through consumer culture, you know? It's interesting you talk about the, the sort of lushness. I think this album is even lusher than her previous ones. Great. I'm not sure she could have made a song like He Loves Me Yeah before doing the car therapy sessions that she did in oh, 2022, yeah. which added ornamental flourishes to previously released songs, including like turning the sleepy Johnny into an orchestral suite. Right. Like, eBay purchase history brings like her quiet songcraft to heightened focus with this like stunning crispness almost. And the title track feels like accumulation of everything she's done. I think even that title hints at this idea that you're talking about, this remove, right. this like being supremely competent, but also like standing at a distance from the whole machine of it. Right. Critiquing the very emotions she's expressing because she realizes right. that they're partly created by influences like pop music itself. And that's the thing about He Loves Me, yeah. You know, it seems like just this fun love song, but then in the end, what's the line? Is something like, I love the way he holds me down. I really like the way he holds me down. I pick his face out when he's in the crowd. He pumps my gas so that I don't get out. If he loves me, he loves me, yeah. I think we're perfect, yeah, we're perfect, yeah. So that's Faye Webster, Underdressed at the Symphony, a record that both you and I strongly recommend. But Sheldon, you got something for us now. What would you bring in? Yeah, so for the first time in five years, there's a new Schoolboy Q album. Uh, the TDE rapper's latest is called Blue Lips. And it builds on past albums, but embraces sort of new lifestyle choices. Like damn, why buy get a bitch like yearn? I'm a drop top nigga, the sun won't burn when it lit like white, but the stripes ain't earned. I'ma get it right now, I ain't waiting no turn. Got a brand new house, trying to avoid my hurt. About six point something in the field like church. Or the hood got whack and the set went turn. Got a four eight eight in the glide like Kurt. I've been living off golf from the last. I don't think Q gets enough credit for his role in like revigorating the sound of West Coast rap. Mm. It's easy to forget he was out of the starting blocks faster than Kendrick. They came from the same crew, right? 
Yeah, they're both TDE rappers. They both were initially in a group called Black Hippie with Absol and J-Rock. And as a unit, they played a huge role in sort of the revitalization of West Coast gangster rap in the early, mid-2010s. Schoolboy, I mean, he was on a great run until his last album, Crash Talk, which was sort of underwhelming. Hmm. But this album is a bit of a return to form for him. Uh, I love the way it sort of balances soul sampling and like slapping lowrider music across its whole sort of soundscape. He is playing into those with like very dynamic vocal performances. And I'm curious what you make of this record. I mean, I really like it. I do love the way that the production complements what he's bringing as a rapper. I feel like it's a little, I don't know, I, a somber is the wrong word. That's not a word that applies very well to, to School Book Q. But, but maybe it's just more humid than, um, yeah. that's also a bad word for anyone from Los Angeles. There's no humidity there. I don't know what it is. Like there's a little bit of heaviness here or something. I, I know the title. I, I do think there is something about it that's somber. I think he is like a wacky enough character right. that it never gets bogged down in that. And he is like in constant motion, so you never really have time to like mire in the feelings. But there is a darkness, I think, that hangs over most of his music. My neck piece looking like pears. The Maybach me and her marriage. I look down, nigga, that's scared. The rat tells me to get buried. You hanging on to it now, barely. The title Blue Lips is uh, refers to silence or a period of, of sort of contemplation or pulling back, which, which might just be a nice PR spin on my not last record didn't do that well. <laughs> Right. It's funny. I mean, Crash Talk was his his most hollow album. One he even admitted left him feeling empty. Um, I don't believe narrative songwriting and rap is any better than pop songwriting, but I do think that his catalog is sort of most interesting in that mode. Thinking about Groovy Tony, Eddie Kane, and most of the stuff on Blank Face. Thinking about Break the Bank and Nightmare on Fink Street. I still don't think this record is as narratively focused as his best stuff, but he does seem to be more introspective on this record, thinking particularly about his relationship to celebrity culture, thinking about his upward mobility and so on. I'm glad you mentioned uh, his relationship to his own persona because I was doing a little research on Schoolboy Q and noticed that he has a beef with nerds. He has talked (laughs) about how he doesn't like nerds, but I think he is a nerd. Like his, his tone, his vocal style, it's got something about it that just maybe it's the kind of way he's grounded in the Nas Jay-Z style. It feels very like classical in a sense, but also he has that goofy elasticity to his voice that you were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, I, it's interesting I, as a nerd, I'm not sure I would think of Schoolboy Q as a nerd, but there is something about his voice. I remember Years ago, Tom Bryan once wrote that Q was an unpredictable presence that seemed to be rapping for his own amusement. And that seems to be true of this record as any other ones. I mean, some of the performances are just like baffling. The woozy stumbling flows of Nunu. Yeah. And like croaked bars of back in love. This a love try angle like what Bermuda is. 
on a mission be the voice of 20,000 kids it's hard to know what he'll do next with his voice, which I think is maybe one of the more thrilling things about the way that his songs function. Well, what do you think about the features on this record? He's got some old friends, Absol's on here. He's got Freddie Gibbs on here on a song that I really like, Ohio. So interesting to hear the contrast in their rapping styles. Gotta catch up to my levels, try to stay black, young fella. Almost died twice, but let's get it. Got an Amex with no limits. Getting head in Paris, that's different. I didn't hit the world with my crib. I didn't level up my living. I ain't dancing around in no skillet. The juxtaposition of him and Freddie Gibbs is particularly interesting. Freddie Gibbs always raps in such a straight line. Yeah. He, he is so hyper-technical, so focused, so... It's, it's not a rigidity, but there's like an elasticity to the way that he moves hmm. directly forward. Yeah, he reminds me kind of like a guy at the gym who does a million reps, you know, very gracefully, but at the same <laughs> yeah. time, like he's going to get through those 150 reps. 100%. Niggas coming for the crown, crown, crown. Time to shut shit down. Time to set shit down. Chevy pedal to the ground. Everybody wanna try to kill the rabbit. Now you like a nigga now. Dust ball niggas by the nigga style. Style. So I gotta keep switching up. Ten plus running millions up. I don't like that 57 And Schoolboy Q is like, could not be sort of further from that. He's the oddball, like bouncing around in all directions. Right, jumping on the treadmill, getting on the <laughs> elliptical, gonna go jump in the pool. Got me a rolling my roots in the soap. Down on the bottom, my president gold. Dancing the pussy and coming to throat. Step it clear when I open the door. Come get a hello, I'll get on the floor. Nigga, you pussy, you know where to go. And so, like, hearing them sort of try to play off one another is a, a really interesting contrast. They are both sort of like gangster rappers of the same persuasion, which is funny. It's funny to hear them operate in such different capacities. Be with the business, be with the lowest. Something's funny, you might be the joke. Nigga, you pussy, you know where to go. That's Schoolboy Q with his new album, Blue Lips. We're going to take a quick break. But first, in case you haven't heard, you can support our work and public radio with NPR Music Plus. When you sign up, you can get access to a special feed of this show where you can listen to all our episodes sponsor-free. You also get to listen to Robin Hilton's All Songs Considered and our sister show, Alt Latino, sponsor-free. But don't worry, nothing is changing. NPR Music Plus is just another way to show your support of public media and get some extra perks too. So please sign up. You can find out more at plus.npr.org slash NPR Music or search for NPR Music in Apple Podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, is now streaming on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, one of the largest recipients of NIH funding. Dana-Farber scientists played a substantial role in developing more than half the cancer drugs approved by the FDA in the last five years, data through 2022. They've made one advanced cancer discovery after another for over 75 years. Dana-Farber Cancer Institute is changing lives everywhere. 
More at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we're back. I'm Ann Powers, and I'm hanging out here with Sheldon Pierce from NPR Music, and we're talking about some great records that have come out today, March 1st. And the next one that we're going to talk about is by the guitarist Julian Lodge. It's called Speak to Me. It's his 15th album as a leader, his first working with someone who I love very much, the singer-songwriter and all-around brilliant mind, Joe Henry. What can you say about Julian Lodge? The guy, he was a child prodigy. He's recorded with some of the greatest jazz musicians who have ever lived, like Gary Burton and John Zorn. Worked with them a lot. He just is a player that has so much personality as an instrumentalist. I really love his style because there's a kind of like brashness and humor always in his style. And here he's working with a pretty big band. But Sheldon, I really hear him constantly shining and breaking through on this record. Maybe that's, I feel like that's a dumb thing to say, honestly. Of course he's shining on this record. It's his record. But but what I mean is he's... uh, I don't know. He's like the guy in the party that just always makes you laugh, you know? It's funny because jazz guitarists traditionally have not been my bag. Uh, mm. I've always been partial to horns, uh, but... Not a West Montgomery fan. The, not, not really, Not a Bill Frizzell the, fan. <laughs> oh, oh, Bill Frizzell, okay. <laughs> you got me there. This album is so expressive. You talk about personality of his playing. To me... He has like almost this sassiness that like cuts through the virtuosity. It's always interesting to sort of be exposed to a grown-up prodigy later in life. In a case like this, I feel like you can almost hear the years of accumulated wisdom. And it's like he is super talented, but it doesn't feel like he takes his music super seriously. Right. Which I... I really, really appreciate it. Honestly, he sounds like he's enjoying himself playing with his band on this record. I feel like we can really hear that on the track Northern Shuffle, which is really like a soul jazz uh, stomper. Let's talk about the band a little bit because, you know, he's he's got some people on this band he's played with a lot, like Dave King, the drummer from The Bad Plus, and uh, the bassist Jorge Roder. But then also Joe Henry's son, Levon, is on here playing horns, and there's two keyboard players. And to my ears, they couldn't be more different. On the one hand, you have Chris Davis, who's a fantastic composer, super innovative, connected to classical music, often called cerebral. But, you know, also 
a very emotional player in her own way, but like a really intricate player, you know? Yeah. And then you also have Patrick Warren, who is known for his session work. Uh, he's played with everyone from Amy Mann to Fiona Apple to guys like Dylan and Springsteen. And he's also a composer. He even won an Emmy for his work with T-Bone Burnett on True Detective Season 1's soundtrack. But then you also have this woman who's, you know, known for her her own compositions and, and like her own lane in jazz. So I don't know. What do you think about how the band interacts with what Lodge is doing on this record? Yeah, I think there's a, a sort of beautiful connection between him and his band that really allows for him to extend his net pretty wide mm, sonically. Yeah. There's a great range to this record. You talk about Northern Shuffle. I mean, the distance traveled from Northern Shuffle to South Mountain is so vast. I mean, you've got one that is super soulful, the other nearly folkish. And talking about tone, I feel like his playing just like springs out of a lot of these songs. There's there's like very, very interesting sort of intricate sound beds that make way for his little... He moves through the nooks and crannies of these songs so, so effortlessly and travels so much terrain in doing so. Yeah, that's well said. I like the metaphor of nooks and crannies. And, you know, it's funny. The first time I listened to this record, for some reason, I only heard him. Yeah. I just like the guitar jumped out at me so much, even on the quiet songs. And there are quite a few quiet songs on this record. There's even a song called Hymnal, you know, and, and there is, uh, as you said, a little bit of connection to to that kind of like cosmic folk Americana-ish jazz that yeah. Bill Frizzell, who he's worked with before, is like the god of, right? Yeah. Even in those quiet songs, there's something about his playing that does feel assertive. Yeah. Then when I came back to the record, that's when I started to hear the different parts. Hear the interaction with the rhythm section, hear those keyboards taking him in different directions, hear yeah. Levon's sax just entering in like a sneaky, I was, you know, was talking about, um, tone and voices like being the guest at a party and do you dominate or do you like hang in the background and right. I think that Levon's saxophone is kind of like the guy at the party who doesn't talk all that much but when he does you're like oh oh, oh yeah <laughs> that was a great point actually. <laughs> <laughs> right exactly so it's really I, I don't know if it's a testament to Lodge himself or just to the the way this band has just gives each other so much respect but it never feels forced it doesn't feel like overwhelming even though it's a big band you know yeah well i mean you you talked about the fact that this is album 15 for him right. as a leader i think when you have someone who is so competent and so confident in what they are capable of it's very easy to settle in to perform, to be yourself, to get in where you fit in. Um, because there's like never a moment where he feels a need to dominate this record. His playing is just that sort of potent. 
it'll always catch your ear to your point about the first time you hear it. It's, it's impossible not to hear him at the center of these songs. It's just like, because of what he is capable of, everyone else is able to do what they do oh, to the best of their ability. Very well said. What do you, I have one last question for you about this record. Joe Henry said something about making this record with Julian Lodge, where he said they were trying to kind of like strike a balance between the virtuoso side of Lodge's guitar playing and the songfulness of the songs. Do you yeah. think they got there? Like, is there an example to you that like feels very songful? Ooh, you know, I do think 76 mm. towards the back half does feel songful. There were there are moments in there where it feels like a band that is like performing at the cantina in an old western, but then it'll like randomly emerge into these beautiful jazz flourishes that pull you out of that and it's like, oh, it's not it's doing something completely different. I think he really has such an understanding of his instrument that he is able to just do whatever he wants on this record and make it sound all, like effortlessly beautiful. That's Julian Lodge, uh, once called by our friend Nate Shannon, one of the breeziest virtuosos in jazz, with his new record, Speak to Me. Now we've got something completely different. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. The Philly band Sheer Mag, some people may be familiar with them. Pretty notably, they've been independent to this point. Their new album, Playing Favorites, though, is the first on Third Man and their first uh, since 2019. And it fortifies the sound that they've been cultivating since a trio of EPs they released in the mid-2010s. The album was initially a a four-song disco EP, which there are traces of it on a song like All Lined Up. But I think everything they add is in service of this epic hard rock revivalism. And you've said you think of the band's tone as thrift store hot topic, which I think is great. (laughs) Can you unpack that a little bit? Well, two things I love, thrift stores and Hot Topic. So <laughs> I, I guess what I meant by that phrase is is that the Sheer Mag is definitely reaching back to the past, yeah. you know, definitely connecting to garage rock, connecting to earlier eras in punk. Like, hey, there's a song on this record called Eat It and Beat It. That's got to be a reference to Blondie's Eat to the Beat, uh, if, if only a sideways reference.
they're not one of these bands that's like trying to recreate a vintage sound wholesale. Yeah. You can sort of see the edges, you know, see the rougher sides to what they're doing. It's always playful. It's always really fun. And that's the thrift store part, right? It's unpredictable. At Hot Topic, you always know what you're getting. You know, you're going to get that Danzig t-shirt or whatever. (laughs) If you get that t-shirt in a thrift store, it might have been cut up and made into, I don't know, like a bikini cover-up or something. And that's what I kind of think about Sheerbag. Like, they're going to take me somewhere unexpected within the confines of what they do. They used to get compared to Thin Lizzy a lot at the beginning. (laughs) And, you know, I I wasn't sure about that. (laughs) But, you know, I, I think they have continued to move beyond any such expectations. I mean, it's heavy music with these power riffs, but it's got a pop center at it. I really think a lot of these songs are just so, so catchy. Yes. Um, and I think even to your point, in all the nostalgia for rock music of the past, they are so clear about what they want to do in their songs that it's hard not to see their particular vision in any one of them. I love the fact that the title track, Playing Favorites, is actually about being on the road and playing their favorite songs, you know? It, yeah. it, it just captures the joy of this band. But what did you think about... Um, the way they're kind of stretching their sound on this particular record and particularly the presence on one track, Mechanical Garden, of the Tuareg guitarist, Madhu Mokhtar. Yeah, I mean, Mechanical Garden, it's it's funny. It starts off like just another sheer mag song and then it morphs into something that is so much breezier. It's maybe the grooviest song in their catalog, dethroning Moonstruck from like seconds earlier. Right. I think it's the kind of stride made by a band that is completely understanding what they want to do with their songs. Um, I'm I'm curious, what do you think uh, separates Tina's voice yeah. from like the other great like punk voices. Tina Halliday, we're talking about the singer for Sheer Mag. I don't know if I would say what separates her so much is just like what makes her a perfect punk singer yeah, an ideal yeah, yeah. what distinguishes her yeah it's, again we're back to that question of tone right like she's she's right in there in the lineage uh, with people yeah. like kathleen Hanna, for example right and for sure she's got that that kind of bratty quality to her yeah. voice that that like yeah. kid on the playground uh ruling the playground kind of thing. she's the queen of the neighborhood let's just say that she's a rebel girl <laughs> yeah but i also think and maybe this is how she's grown as a singer over the years that there's a there's a wisdom built into it now and that's also reflected in the lyrics on this record i think you know yeah. this is an adult band this is an adult record it's not necessarily for punks of a certain age but i think there's a maturity in the songwriting and and in her voice now that i really value Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way to think about it. There's definitely a mischievousness to her voice, like a defiance, which I think serves both like the bite 
and the propulsion mm-hmm. of Sheer Mag songs. Plus those guitarists, man, those guitarists are... They are, I mean, I can totally see why they signed to Third Man because I could just see yeah. Jack White standing in the back of the room, just totally loving what's happening on that stage. You right, know? right. It's funny because you mentioned the guitarist because I, I think specifically about that interplay between guitar and voice on their records, and I've always been struck by how present their music feels. Oh yeah, like it it feels in touch with like a tactile world that seems to like exist less and less these days both in music and in reality huh. uh it's sort of funny in her lyrics there's like pool playing and like brawls at the bar they're taking cabs to the city sharing a biscuit <laughs> and a lot of it's like hanging around a jukebox like with other people in a public space it's full of what feels like face to face interactions there's this great lyric Uh, I think from Don't Come Looking, and it's, I've been fighting shy now, but I'm on the mend and I'm with my friends. I'm feeling strong, closer to the peace I've been searching on. And to me, that sums up so much of what is happening in their music. And for me, that sums up punk in a lot of ways, too. I mean, if there's a yeah, punk tone, yeah. you know, I mean, there's lots of lots of ways punk can manifest. But it is exactly what you're talking about. It's a voice in, I said, a girl on the playground. But actually, you're making me want to say it's a voice in a crowded bar, you know, in yeah. a space where there's like some other noise. Maybe there's a, <laughs> a subway <laughs> or an elevated train, <laughs> uh, you know, overhead or something. You know, there's rumble, there's noise. You've got to speak up. But, you know, you're speaking to your friends. So you're screaming in yeah. the ears of your friends. That's the beauty of what Shermag does. 100%. That's Shermag, and their new record is called Playing Favorites. We got a bunch more albums to share in our lightning round, and that's coming up right after this short break. Welcome back. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. Back, you know, there's so much good music out today and seemingly every Friday, but we're going to run through a quick list of some of our other favorites. Anne? Well, I'm going to start with this album by Hannah Francis. It's called Keeper of the Shepherd. Hannah Francis is a Chicago-based composer, guitarist, dancer, a stunning vocalist, and songwriter. I have to thank the music writer Josh Terry for turning me on to this artist in his newsletter, No Expectations. The minute I put on her song, the title track from this record, I was stunned, absolutely stunned. You could call her music freak folk, but it's really more monumental than most freak folk 
There's shades of Sandy Denny, for sure, but also of 90s queens like Sarah McLaughlin, or she's even been compared to Katie Lang. It's very mythic, and I just, like, dove into it. For my first pick, I'm going with Yardax, Where's My Utopia? We get down to the sound of a singular mind And we like criminals when criminals are treating us kind For the subliminal... On the heels of the Mercury Prize-nominated 2022 album, The Overload, the British band frees itself from expectations, making a self-described party album inspired by everything from disco to Afrobeat that is hookier than its post-punk predecessor. My next pick is two albums actually being released basically together. They're by the pioneer of home cassette recording, Linda Smith. They were recorded in the 80s and 90s, and they're called So I Liked Spring and Nothing Else Matters. Shout out to our colleague Lars Gottrich on this. I know he is a huge Linda Smith fan. It was the night when If you love sort of 80s indie rock that's brainy and really charming, that is very lo-fi and yet has the heart and soul of, you know, a really smart person who loves melody and loves, loves pop in a way, you'll love these records. Inspirations include the minimalist band Young Marble Giants, the English poet Charlotte Mew, and Smith's own work for the Ringling Brothers Circus. For my second pick, the composer Niels Fromm returns to his roots on Day, his first album since 2022's Music for Animals. His music has grown more and more texturally complex over the years, but these piano compositions honed back in on his chosen instrument. And finally, we want to highlight the new album from Mannequin Pussy. It's their fifth, and it's called I Got Heaven. These East Coast punkers are breaking big with this album. I think this is the one that might bring them to the national stage. It's got swoony guitar parts, sweeping vocals, and I think the potential to reach the same big audience that loves Olivia Rodrigo. And if you want to learn more about Mannequin Pussy, I encourage you to go to the New York Times and read the wonderful feature by our former colleague, Marissa LaRusso. Well, Sheldon, we've come to the end of our time together. It's always so much fun to talk to you. I love the way you think about music. Thanks for sharing the space with me today. It's been such a blast, Anne. Thank you. So if you out there listening in listener land would like to give us some feedback, you can write us at allsongs at npr.org. And if you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at npr.org backslash music newsletter. And I know you're going to want to do it because I wrote a whole damn newsletter about that Benson Boone song. <laughs> 
Sheldon is running away, but before he runs away, he has a few more things he wants to tell you. Please remember that if you want to listen to this show sponsor-free, you can support our work by joining NPR Music Plus. Just go to plus.mpr.org slash mprmusic or search for NPR Music in Apple Podcasts. This podcast was produced by Joaquin Kotler and Surya Muhammad with editorial support from Jacob Gantz. I'm Ann Powers. I'm Sheldon Pierce. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. (laughs) We'll be back next week. Support for NPR and the following message come from Proven Winners Color Choice Shrubs. Their flowering shrubs and evergreens are trialed and tested by expert horticulturists for 8 to 10 years to ensure a beautiful, high-performance display in your landscape or garden. And because the team at Proven Winners Color Choice Shrubs is passionate about gardening, they've put together resources to help you get started with garden projects big and small. For example, did you know that hydrangea flower buds form on branches the year before they bloom? With guides like Hydrangeas Demystified, you can learn from the experts and get your questions answered on hydrangea pruning, watering, reblooming, and more. Proven Winners Color Choice Shrubs are available in the distinctive white containers at garden centers nationwide, including over 50 varieties of hydrangeas. Learn more at provenwinnerscolorchoice.com NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Dignity Memorial. When your celebration of life is prepaid today, your family is protected tomorrow. Planning ahead is truly one of the best gifts you can give your family. For additional information, visit DignityMemorial.com. When voters talk during an election season, we listen. We ask questions, we follow up, and we bring you along to hear what we learned. Get closer to the issues, the people, and your vote at the NPR Elections Hub. Visit NPR.org elections.